You're listening to Evoke, a podcast that inspires people to share their stories. Because although we all have unique struggles, we get through it together. Here are your co-hosts, Bracken Level and Brandon Paxton. All right, everybody, welcome to another episode. Today we've got an exciting guest here. Um, he actually just won a NCAA national title. So we brought him on to talk about his journey, what it took to get there, um, just some of the things that he's gone through, and we're really excited to hear that. So, Fred, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Doing well, doing well. Feeling alive, feeling healthy, which is big, especially as an athlete, you know. Health is a little higher on the spectrum of what contributes to a good day. Yeah, definitely. And and um, so I'm cheating a little bit because I know you, um, so we might have to go into a little more for the listeners, but you are a, a very healthy person, actually um, very into health in general. What, what kind of, what brought that on? Why are you so into that? What, is it the athletics or just life in general? It's, if you don't put a goal in front of me, health is just kind of falling to the wayside. So health is not the end goal, but it's a piece that gets me there. It's, um, you know, as you said, working towards the national championship, my goal isn't to be healthy, but I knew that is what had to happen to get me where I wanted to go. Um, I don't like doing push-ups. I don't like, I don't enjoy eating all the vegetables, but, um, taking the steps to get me closer is that makes me jump out of my seat, you know? So what does that look like? What's your daily health routine? Uh, not training for a national title right now. So it's a little looser. But um, during the training process, it was a lot of um, whole food and vegetables as far as what goes in my mouth. And um, what goes into a wrestling diet is, you know, could be absurd to some people. Um, Counter to the narrative, it's not emptiness and ice cubes. It's actually, it's pretty green and leafy. But I... along the sidelines of that is cardio twice a day. Um, even without training right now, I'm still hitting runs every lunch break and um, little extensive weekend stuff as far as climbing. Like I just told you guys before I went on air, doing some cliff diving, but that required also rock climbing to get up onto the cliffs. So <laughs> just having fun, but uh, doing it in a great way. Yeah, it's important. Um, it seems like you're pretty adventurous in those kind of things. Um, I think that's awesome. And it, it, it it's funny how it does take so much energy and a lot more fitness than you actually think, you know, to rock climb and just do some of your hobbies. I think that's pretty interesting. Yeah, rock climbing is a sneaky one because it's not like doing a bunch of pull-ups like you think. Like your fingers blow out before your back or your biceps or your legs you know it's it's like the intricate stuff they don't actually think about before you get there yeah definitely it, it that is kind of an odd thought to think about um so I want to go back to your wrestling journey because that's kind of you know like I guess it's not super fresh anymore but we're, you're pretty fresh off of a, a national title something that I imagine you've worked for for a long time I personally got to see you work for it for a few years and so um Let's go back to the beginning. What? Why wrestling? Uh, undiagnosed ADHD, probably. <laughs> uh, it started off as unfiltered aggression, um, tumbling, speed skating, uh, a little bit of soccer dabbled in there. Is a lot of aggression on these fields that weren't happy to see an elbow get thrown or see a kid get tossed. So, um, you know, just by process of elimination as I, as I continue to be aggressive is the only, um, filter to go, you know? So my parents got me in at five years old and, uh, you know, nothing better for me. Finally, I could fall asleep at the normal 10 o'clock rather than staying up and bouncing off the walls. So, um, as a child, it helped me give direction to energy and it really, you know, in the long run taught me how to work hard and taught me how to set goals, I think is the biggest thing it's taught me is, you know, work towards something. 
So yeah, I, I've heard you mention goals a couple times now. So I imagine that's a huge part of your life. What is, can you go more in depth into the role goals plays in your life and what that looks like? Just setting goals is I'd say the biggest, uh, biggest thing that gets me out of bed in the morning without it. I feel pretty lost. Um, I don't live a very healthy lifestyle without something on the horizon to continue to wait for wake up for and chase. Um, and then it's not just have a goal and, you know, let's try to get closer each day. It's, um, writing down the exact steps and writing down exactly, uh, the structure required to get where I want to go, even if it's 1% further. And, uh, you know, that worked for me in wrestling. It's worked, um, later in life going through trade school. It's worked as an athlete, as a student. And even in my relationship, newly married, um, it echoes throughout every faucet of life. Like, where can I get 1% better? What are the steps that can, that's going to get me there? And um, it's an ongoing process. Even though there's an outcome, I'm, it's a focus on the process, not, uh, not the horizon, but the steps in front of you. Yeah, I love that. That's that's actually very wise. Um, yeah, I got I got to ask you because this is something that I, I've actually truly wanted to know for a really long time. Like, do you ever get down? What and and when and if you do, then then how do you handle that? Uh, man, I can temporarily. I see. I see a lot of setbacks as opportunities for growth which is the most cliche thing you could possibly say or find. But um, a lot of what I read is in all the books that I read, my entire uh, library there, just to my right. Uh, a lot of it's just every setback has a seed of growth and you literally have to think about it as a seed inside of your head. Like not even a metaphoric seed, like a physical plant is being set into your body and it's up to you to, nourish that seed and that comes with every time you're wrong every time you're misstep any kind of setback even if it's you scored 95 out of 100 you know that five percent is what's gonna bump you a little further where you want to go um and that's the biggest focus is um you're never a failure you know you only fail if you quit and if you quit then yeah i I'm going to have to write you up for a failure. But other than that, you have to take the lessons as they come. And I think it's rewording the events, you know, rewording a failure, a loss and rewording it for uh, a lesson or opportunity. Um, Cause the longer those negative connotative words kind of linger in the back of your head, um, that's the seed that gets planted and that's the seed that you nurture the negative one rather than um one focused on a rather positive outcome yeah and you have kind of a, a personal experience with that um can you can you go into a little bit of depth on your journey to that national title that you just won um because it, it kind of goes along with what you're saying you know it, it, maybe not necessarily personal failures i'm sure there were some personal failures um, but even things that were out of your control. And so can you share that a little bit and kind of how you handled that and, and just how that process played out for you? Are we talking about COVID or the first two college wrestling team drops? <laughs> I'm talking about everything. It was, you had quite the adventure getting to that point. Um, first wrestling team drop was definitely a setback. Um, competing at Boise State University, uh, one coach dropped from the team, and then a week later, the next coach dropped with the announcement that our team was let go. And that's uh, that's a stab in the heart because the same organization that brings you in and promises the world is the same organization that says, hey, your dreams are done. Um, seed of growth, right? So um, continue moving forward. Don't accept the spot that you're at. Don't be complacent because complacency kills um you know take 
the best possible route. Um, my friend once told me, just do the next best step. Like, don't consider anything other than the next, it could be the next five minutes, next 10 minutes. Like, just take the next best step. And, uh, and, you know, once you get to that, there's another step in front of you. But don't let the weight of whatever the setback is crush you all at once. Um, work your way out, literally making one decision at a time. And just string them together rather than letting it all come down. So, starting at Boise State, let go. Next best step. All right, time to reach out to universities. Reach out to one, reach out to the next. Enter the transfer portal. And uh, on to Virginia, I went. And then, uh, along with some other details I skipped over as far as uh, transferring credits that didn't make it and injuries that had to be repaired and uh you know, life happens. And uh, Virginia, next thing, you know, no longer able to compete, academically ineligible, none of my credits transferred um, the way that it should have. And uh, just stuck with nothing but core classes. And if someone that hasn't been in school for very long or not very familiar, the core classes are like, those are the heavy ones. <laughs> and you lighten up with some, some electives to lighten your load a little bit but I had only core classes, like four or five, and, uh, you know, too much to bear, so I was ineligible, unable to compete once again, and uh, I ended up taking a, a year off, actually, to kind of find myself, and that itself is a personal journey that had to be taken um, to let my personal self grow, because that wasn't being addressed throughout my first 22 years of life. So I had to catch up on who I was, find out, um, you know, who Fred is, and then return back to the goal of a national championship with Colorado Mesa. And uh, we were on the way, damn it. 2020 was going to be the year. Um, just beat the returning national champion, right? Mal Malcolm, um, former Iowa Hawkeye. Uh, out of Iowa. <clears throat> he was a stud. Uh, crushed his way through the national tournament the year before. Um, not even coming close to overtime or even a decision. He, I think, teched and pinned and like majored everyone through his national tournament. And, uh, you know, a mighty foe, obviously. And, um, just came down to one step at a time, um, getting back on the mat in Colorado Mesa, taking a year off, you know, pretty chunky, pretty weak, but <laughs> optimistic and uh, willing to take one step at a time. As you know, Donnie on our team, Donnie's a, a, a bigger fellow at 197, but just full of joy and uh, goofiness. And that's kind of what it took too, is just surrounding myself with great people. But uh, man, wrap around to 2021 after COVID, it was the same story after being off the mat again for another seven or eight months and working on other aspects of life. And uh, one step at a time, inching my way closer. But now that I'm talking, I think a lot of those breaks between seasons allowed me to work on myself and work on these other aspects in life that kind of gave balance to where I could perform at my best knowing that these, uh, these other faucets of life are being taken care of too. Yeah, I actually wanted to ask, um, how did you know when it was time to take that break to go find yourself? It happened to me. <laughs> I wasn't the one that made the decision. You know, life happens. Um, when you become academically eligible, ineligible, shoot, there's nothing more you can do other than like, all right, well, time to only focus on academics and get my degree. Um, COVID hit. Well, there's nothing to do other than we're stuck in the living room. <laughs> time to get flexible and sharpen between the ears and with my relationships with family and friends uh, and with myself, you know, number one, first, if you're pouring from an empty cup, it just, it doesn't work. 
So. so what did that look like when you were trying to find yourself in that time? A lot of reading, honestly, a lot of reading and podcasts and uh, meditation, whether it's done impatiently or with time or a lot of it is a lot of people say reading and podcasts and working on myself. There's no perfect way to do it either. Cause I didn't know what I was doing the first time it came to, all right, you're not allowed to wrestle, do something with your life. And that's kind of where the first pitfall kind of came is, you know, first time working on myself, I had a shoulder injury and I had surgery, so I couldn't wrestle for five months. And this is the first time since five years old without wrestling. So now it came to, all right, who am I? Who am I really? And it was kind of a look in the mirror of, well, figure it out. <laughs> um, what interests you? And, um, you know, of course, you go through a self-help book or two. But um, that's when I got into journaling, self-reflection every day. I journal um how am I going to get better today how do I feel what to interest to me and then it could be as simple as uh I want to do one thing good for somebody else because that's something I wanted to ingrain in myself after living a life of not caring about very many other people in the world <laughs> is a healthy practice it kind of zoom out you know and start thinking more community-minded but uh it was writing in, in a journal a lot and a lot of reading and meditation and um, deep conversations with others as well. And uh, man, there's so much more. I can't just keep piling on, but. Well, no, it's interesting to hear, you know, because you think, I don't know, it almost seems even logical that, like what how are you going to get better at wrestling well wrestle 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 which is true to an extent right um yeah. but the thing is is we have we have athletics we have different these different avenues it doesn't even have to be athletics it could be a hobby it could be like you said in your marriage and in, in, in anything in our families and relationships we're like what are we learning from that what are we contributing to that and and really who are we um, and I think you kind of encapsulated that in what you just said, you know, it's like you, you became a different, I don't know, w would you say better wrestler from all this self exploration? I would say so. It's, um, I think it boils down to labels is one of the books, uh, shoot, what's it called? I believe it's the four agreements by Don Miguel Ruiz, but it could be uh, awareness by uh, Anthony DeMello. His thing is labels are what kind of restricts you. It's um, so growing up through life, I called myself a wrestler and I wouldn't, I wouldn't shake from this label of what a wrestler was, what a wrestler does. I did everything according to the idea of what a wrestler is. And I was married to this idea and um it was actually putting me in a box and I didn't know it. Um, I was, I sub, I was subscribing to the idea of what wrestling or what a wrestler was. And inadvertently it kept me from exploring these different avenues in life that, um, and unbeknownst myself, like got me to the national title. Um, and a lot of it is, self-exploration as far as um you know working on the mindset stuff i would never even consider journaling i thought that was for girls <laughs> i thought it was called a diary and that's what um teenage girls did but no it's actually something that you know a majority of um fortune 500 company ceos they all journal mm -hmm. and they all focus on these other explorations in life other than just going to work so are, are you still wrestling or is your career as a wrestler over um there's gonna be a coaching aspect to it too um i'm excited to see what that has but 
as of right now, as an athlete, it's I hung up the shoes. <laughs> right. Yeah. So the reason I ask is actually to go along with that, uh, what you're talking about with labels. I was, I was either listening to a book or I read it somewhere where the guy says the same thing. You know, we give ourselves these labels. Somebody that's an athlete in college, they say, I'm an athlete. Somebody that's in the military, they say, I, I'm, I'm a, a hard worker in the military. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a defender of the country and, and they give themselves these labels. And then once it ends, once they retire from the military, once they are done with school and being an, an athlete in college, then they kind of don't know what to do with themselves. They don't know who they are anymore because that label is, is now gone. Yeah. And he talks about changing that instead of I am an athlete or I am a wrestler to I am motivated, I'm dedicated, I have goals, those kind of things that you can apply in other areas of life and not limit yourself to just an athlete, but rather somebody that's motivated, dedicated, all of those things. Do you, do you see that now that you're kind of done with the wrestling that you're kind of having to do that? Yeah. The fatal, the fatal flaw of that one, when I identified as a wrestler and that gets taken away, that's the worst way to, that's the worst way to learn the lesson is remove the label that you identify with. But it is also the most freeing experience if you let it be. Because returning to wrestling, I was no longer the wrestler inside of the sport. I was now who I, I would say closer to who my true self was walking onto the mat. And that's what allowed me to um, compete at my highest level. And what did that feel like? Because, you know, that's i don't know if we're giving enough credit to this this time off that you had in this self-exploration because i really want to point that out because we talk a lot about mental health we talk well we like to say mental wellness because it's you know we all are somewhere on this spectrum if we can say that with with yeah. mental health and and our our goal is wellness right our goal is overall wellness yeah. um and you you got to work on kind of some of those other things and Another thing I don't want to just move past is you won a national title. Like that is, a, that is a very small percentage of people get to do that. And a large percentage of people want to do that. Um, so with those two thoughts, what, what did it feel like? What, what did it feel like when you finally achieved something you've been working your whole life towards? And do you think that it felt different than had you, not had this self-exploration um i think there's two parts to that there's how i felt getting my hand raised dropping to my knees putting my shoes on the center of the mat and just um as a sign of retirement in the wrestling community leaving his shoes in the mat means symbolizing an end of a an era and end of your career that alone brought me to my like just tears of the eyes and joy of this is this is it this is the pinnacle this is everything i ever worked for for 19 years and an overwhelming joy of um success almost which isn't that just was a shred of That was a shred of, um, I don't want to say happiness. That was a shred of joy, happiness, love, whatever word you want to fit in there. As if he's fast forward about an hour and a half later in the hotel room, and I was with Donnie. And it was after we're all showered up, after the podium, after the hugs and the signatures and all of that. I was with Donnie and I had my, I actually have it right here in front of me on my desk, but, uh, holding my NCAA trophy in my hands and it was the first time I really zoomed out I'm thinking I'm no longer a wrestler and I had everything I ever worked for is inside of my hand at that moment and Donnie and I are looking at each other and I bawled like a baby <laughs> I had never cried harder and um but it wasn't tear it was it was a little bit of sadness, but it was 
an exuberance of love and joy for the sport that I um, felt so passionate for. And I gave so much, like so many hours, like tens of thousands of hours into this thing. And it's now in front of my hands, but it really, it's about the journey. It's not entirely about, you know, it's not about just the trophy, but it was a very deep cry with someone that was there on the mat with me, like a brother to me. And, uh, you know, a cry that makes you kind of get all stuffy node and running. <laughs> um, but it was an intimate moment. And that was, I want to, I'll just use the word love. That was the love. I've, that being on the mat crying in front of a cold crowd and being in the state and being in the stands, that was a different type of experience. And that was, a recognition not of the end goal but of the journey um and I was crying because of the journey not because of accomplishing the goal the first cry is because of the goal the second one was seeing how beautifully it was all done and seeing how all these different pieces that I didn't even contribute to the coaches around me the teammates um not being able to compete through COVID not being able to compete from two teams being dropped you know, um, being um, kind of thrown into the crucible of life and all these different events that contributed to what I didn't know was contributing to the skill set and the tools necessary to achieve. And all those things are hardening me, making me tougher, work harder. Um, over these 19 years, it was, that was the deepest, most fulfilling moment in my athletic career, recognizing all the different parts that I had no control over, it almost felt like I didn't deserve where I was because really it wasn't me at the end of the day. It was, it was the village. And I would just so happen to be the one with the trophy in my hands. But no, a recognition of the journey was definitely the, <laughs> the, with uh, Donnie's the only witness you can ask him. <laughs> <laughs> he wasn't sworn to secrecy or anything. <laughs> no, no. I, there's one quote him and I go back to. It's like, this is so beautiful. This is why they only let you do it once a year. It's too, it's too sweet. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that was, so it was, yeah, there's two parts to how you feel after, an accomplishment of that magnitude but it's the second one that's like, hits a little deeper now so i was just thinking that you know you mentioned um that feeling of i don't deserve this but after listening to you, you know you you've talked about how you you've worked or worked for it your whole life you've set goals you've you've you know, lived this lifestyle that put you in that place that allowed you to achieve those goals to become the national champ and get that title. Um, yet sometimes it's, it's almost natural for us to feel like we don't deserve that. What, what was that like for you to feel that? How did, how did you kind of go about those emotions, feeling like you didn't deserve something, even though you've worked for it so hard throughout your whole life? Yeah. Um didn't deserve it I definitely earned it <laughs> um maybe didn't deserve and maybe didn't earn or maybe two different things um I definitely put the work in but I guess what I'm saying is it wasn't self-made it took Mike Mendoza my my wrestling coach at Boise State who ended up being the coach at CMU as well who also ordained my wedding, like that man is uh, a huge contribution to not only a wrestling skill set, but a lifestyle skill set. Um, it took my dad driving me to driving me to Little League every single practice and every single tournament. And um, it was when I say I didn't deserve it, it was more of recognizing that it's so much bigger than myself. 
it's all these other con contributions. And I, and is also a recognition of how lucky I am to be surrounded by those type of um, figures that are truly looking out for you. And want nothing more than, than for that actually to happen, to win a national title. I, I beat a bear on the bush and I don't want to say it because I'm afraid to dilute it, but. Um, no, say it loud and proud, man. I, I think it's, it's so cool. And to go back to something I already said, I, I mean, I don't want to be redundant, but a very, very few people do it and, and, you know, appreciate, I believe in complimenting the effort. And I had the privilege of watching you put in the time and effort and watching you do things that a lot of people aren't willing to do. A lot of successful people and successful athletes aren't willing to do. I watched you do to get this. And, and I love that you are willing to appreciate those long hours spent by parents and coaches and, and probably even your wife, um, you know, all of these people that contributed to this moment. And I think that that's so awesome. It goes back to what you said at the beginning, you know, uh, well, I, I, I think anyways, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but you, you mentioned that <clears throat> now recently, you know, there's some big changes in your life and you're doing these things and you try to serve. And I think that's, that's a little service in its own is just appreciating the effort of other people. And that's huge. I think that that speaks volumes to who you are as a person, which kind of segues us into, you know, like, where does your perspective come from? I want to, I want to talk about that a little bit. Cause I, I, I look back on different conversations we've had and I've wanted to have you on the show for so long because, um, you've said some very impactful things to me that I don't even know if you realize, um, but you're just, you're very, a well thought out person. And, and I, I appreciate your perspective. And so, first of all, I want to know where that comes from, if you can talk about that um, and how that relates to this idea of mental wellness. You know, if, if wrestling fits in that great, if not, you know, where does that come from? And, and, and uh, how do you kind of incorporate that into your life? the origin of perspective <laughs> so um i would say that the origin of my perspective comes from um echoing what we said earlier a loss of a marriage to labels so that kind of creates a free spirit in such a way to where you're no longer identifying and training yourself to remember what this label follows or what this label contributes to or thinks. Um, and a crazy curiosity, I would say, um, it all comes with trying to shake some of those labels of like defining yourself as a wrestler or as an athlete or um, maybe, you know, whether it's political or athletics or academics or, you know, an A plus student or like identifying yourself with all these different labels. So I'd say a loss of the labels allowed me to free myself to new ideas and new thoughts and new experiences. And then that allowed me to reshape my direction with a little bit of structure, giving um, tons of books and podcasts and uh, a little bit of YouTube, but um, I would say intention is the biggest thing that contributed to my development of perspective. It's to do everything with intent. So I think there's going down a rabbit hole here. I think there's two ways you can look at social media. You can do it with intention or you can do it without intention. And those are two different things to the mental diet um, your mental diet is just as important as the diet that you eat. You know, it can make you just as sick as what you put in your body, whether it's calories or, um, junk food. It's, there's such thing as a healthy mental diet versus a mental junk diet. You can literally load your brain full of Twinkies and ding dongs if you want, but you're going to be sick. You know, if you're just jumping on Twitter or Facebook or watching TV, whatever it is, and it's not a healthy mental diet, your body and your mind's going to reflect that um, almost directly. And um, 
I can't quote any right now, but I believe there's research coming out that kind of reflects the same thing I'm saying. But I would say recognizing the importance of a mental diet. And that's, um, you know, I have Instagram. Everyone's on, everyone in the dog literally is on Instagram. But uh, using it intentionally, you know, if something I know is going to tick me off, I block them <laughs> or unfollow them or I follow things I know are going to give me motivation and I block out things that I can kind of feel tug me in the direction that's not setting me towards my goal. Um, that's talking to the right people, I'm not surrounding myself with people that are downers or naysayers or um, it's to surround yourself both online and with the people I'm with um, that are going to set you in the right direction and myself in the right direction. Um, bouncing ideas off of people, talking. I'll throw an idea out of, uh, you know, it's something I don't even believe, but I'll throw an idea or a uh, question out just to bounce it off somebody. And if you're with the right people, they'll chew on it with you. Um, and that just comes with curiosity. I mean, I'm sure I've um, chopped it up with you, Bracken, quite a bit, just <laughs> just off of the ideas. Maybe I don't even believe or even um, given more than 30 minutes of thought to, but it's uh, it's fun because sometimes there's a nugget of truth that you can kind of come to. And that comes with conversations, getting off your phone and having conversations with others. I think that's uber important compared to um, where our modern day is kind of starting to tick towards. So, yeah. And that, that's something that is really cool for Brandon and I um, to watch as, you know, as we've done this podcast, one thing that we've really noticed is like, Hey, we're having actual conversations with people that we might not know on a deeper level. I mean, some people we know where we're related to or whatever, but some we don't really know that well. And, and we get to really learn from them. And going back to your first point with, you know, tossing ideas around, first of all, yes, we have, you know, chewed on ideas together. And I love that. I think that that's so important um, and admirable, really, especially in today's day and age when somebody can be, you know, you don't necessarily have to believe everything you hear and you shouldn't, but yeah. But, but you can be open to hearing an idea without being condescending towards somebody else. Right. Or, you know, and, and, and I love that. I think that that's, to me, that's one of the most admirable things about people. Um, if they're willing to be open and converse and not shoot others down for having an idea. Well, imagine going to the gym and it's like the social gym. All right. How do you get stronger? You lift heavy weights socially relationship wise like mentally it all filters back like if you don't have difficult conversations in life you're not hitting the heaviest reps that you can possibly do and you just you know with the cancer culture that's starting to rise within our society everyone's decided to push the skip button on the social gym okay now socially you're not gonna go lift even five pounds, 10 pounds, whatever it is, um, you know, it's a skill as much as it is a muscle to be social and uh, really develop who you are. It contributes massively to perspective. Yeah, so I, I like that you're talking about opening your mind um, with all that stuff that you've done, meditation, reading, podcasts, um, speaking with other people, conversation, all these things, they open your mind, they get you thinking, um, they help you to grow mentally. Um, and, you know, when Bracken came to me and, and mentioned that he had, that he would like to bring you on to our show, um, just based off of some of the discussions that he's had with you, one of the things that he mentioned was some of your, some of the ways that you've opened your mind. You know, he talked about, um, and I, I don't know too much about this, but, um, your thoughts and research on microdosing. I wanted to see if we could touch base on that a little bit. What are your thoughts or some of the research that you've done around that as far as opening your mind? Yeah, microdosing is kind of, it's kind of the frontier of where the country's at right now. I mean, if you look at just about any, if you go onto Google and you type in microdosing and then um, Silicon Valley, you'll read just, 
endless pages of these guys that are instructed to microdose before going to, into coding, you know, and it's supposed to loosen them up, become more creative. It's supposed to make you think, you know, outside the box. Um, these psilocybin experiments and uh, experiences that people are having, as myself, I've had a handful of and been able to jot down notes and take life experiences from. Uh, it's what many compare to a sledding hill. So after a day of snow, all the kids go down the sled hill. Eventually on that hill, there becomes a rut. There becomes a certain path that all the kids start to fall into where the snow has been packed down so tightly in one area and less tightly everywhere else that everyone kind of filters down into the same idea or the same um, spot on the hill. And what psilocybin has been shown to do is overnight a snowstorm comes in and lays a fresh blanket of snow over the entire hill. Now you're freeing yourself to sled down just about anywhere on that hill. There's no longer a rut. You can pick and choose and be aware of, and this is a, this is a metaphor for your thoughts. Like you're not being fumbled into the same way of thought and the same way of thinking and deciding and making decisions and going through actions in life. You're now becoming more cognizant and dabbling over these new ideas, new creative solutions to maybe potential problems in life or maybe problems that you've been dealing with for three, four, five years. Um, I found a lot of who I am personally with these psilocybin experiences just um there's a lot of dumb moments there's a lot of stuff that you already know but you don't believe it'd be like yeah obviously celery is good for you and carrots are going to make it your eyes better and make you feel better you know they're total dumb moments that you come to realize and actually internalize um almost immediately <laughs> it's uh, it's not something that uh, I can really put into words and transmit through a microphone and someone will immediately understand. It's something that you kind of have to have the experience to really sink into. And I'm not going to advocate for someone to go and uh, experiment with an illicit drug, but I can speak as far as my experiences in my past to where it has truly contributed to the way I think. Um, yeah. <laughs> Psilocybin is, uh, I think it's going to be the new verge of how people combat mental distress, whether it's anxiety, uh, depression. Um, paranoia is one that would take you off of the psilocybin list. So if there's any type of paranoia in your life or inside your family lineage, do not touch these things um however uh, i do see it as a new frontier of research and it currently is yeah it's interesting yeah. I, I i don't know much about it i haven't done a lot of research but i did listen to three-hour episode where joe rogan discusses uh the studies that they're doing with people that have ptsd a lot of people that were in the military um people that have been through traumatic uh experiences they're they struggle with PTSD and they've been doing the microdosing studies on them and seeing some pretty crazy results. So it is very interesting. And like you said, it, there's a lot of potential in the future. I don't know much about it, but it's, it's very interesting. Yeah. A lot of the lessons learned is forgiveness. I think that's like forgiving yourself, forgiving others, um, removal of labels, but I would say forgiveness is, one of the first things that you learn going through some of these experiences, you're like, man, I was an idiot. But then you don't beat yourself up continually. Every time that thought reoccurs, you're no longer living in the dread of that thought and you're just trying to suppress it and it comes back up and you have to relive the pain of that moment. It releases you from being stuck on that treadmill and you can put it to rest and it's 
no longer a piece of who you are is I would say the most compact and easy way to say it. Yeah, no, I, I think it's super interesting and, and you did put it really well. I mean, just to catch everybody up a little bit who, who may not know psilocybin is a hallucinogen. It's, it's a mushroom comes from, you know, well, it's actually a chemical that's produced by mushrooms. Um, it actually acts on the serotonin receptors. So what, you know, a lot of this research has gone into depression, PTSD, anxiety, different things like that. And it's showing really great results. I mean, they're seeing great results with the treatment of mental health because it's acting on these specific receptors in your brain that are also triggering depression, PTSD, anxiety, different things like that. And even more serious, I mean, like I said, there there are these um, studies going on and, and with everything, obsessive compulsive disorders, lots of clinical trials. Um, but what they're seeing is that it has these high affinities and low addiction rates. And so I just wanted to say that to catch everybody up um, because there are great results there. But then I wanted to go back to what you were saying, Fred. Sorry, did you want to add something to that? I thought it looked like you were going to say well, something. Sorry. There's, there's kind of two parts of psilocybin too. There's the clinical studies, there's the science. However, I think it's more of a spiritual connotation. It's more of a spiritual journey that you take and less of a scientific diagnostic journey. Mm-hmm. It's not um, a doctor in a lab coat whenever you're um, going through these experiences. It's it's very much more of a spiritual thing, which if someone's not a spiritual person, they're about to be. <laughs> but um, it, yeah, it's uh, fantastic research being done. And it's interesting how many different ways you can explain it. Um, my explanation to close friends and family were more of words of spirituality and getting closer to the divine. And uh, however, you know, there's scientific evidence for those that actually rely on those numbers more than anecdotal evidence. Mm-hmm. And I think that's super important. I mean, Brandon and I have never, never taken psilocybin, you know, and we're not, we're not proponents of going out and taking things that you don't know anything about, nor illegal drugs or anything like that. However, I, I, I want, I like your point, you know, about being open to these things. I particularly am very interested in, in the mental health treatment aspect um, because we have a limited number of treatments. I, I was at work today. I was having a conversation with one of our providers who, you know, we were talking about psilocybin specifically and, and how we were excited that it's up and coming because we're very limited. And I want to tell you something to get off on a rabbit hole just a minute. We, we have different medications for depression. I believe in medication. I've said that a hundred times on this podcast. I, I, but I think that, again, going back to the wellness argument, it, it, we can't just take a medication and feel better and problem fixed. That's not how it works. We have to put in effort just like you put in this effort your whole life to be who you want to be today to accomplish things that you want to accomplish well it's it's the same thing we have these medications and we're we're relying very heavily on them i might say or i might add but you have like prozac for depression it has like a 40 percent chance that it is effective and then sometimes that doesn't work for somebody well then you go to a different medication um i don't know there's a handful of them yeah there, there's too many i'm just trying to think of what the second one was anyway you go to the next one down it's like 22 percent effectiveness then you go to the next one down it's like 18 so to me my, my point of going down this rabbit hole is is it's it's worth it even from a simply a treatment perspective but also like you said you have these these people like yourself who can say look this was actually a very spiritual thing and and what was most intriguing to me is your point about being in the moment living you know so much in the moment because we don't live in the moment these days we really don't at all and um i mean i'm talking a lot right now but i i want to i want to say one more thing that you said that has stuck with me and really really um provoked a lot of conversations we've had on this podcast so i find it fitting but 
you told me one time you said anxiety is worried about worrying about the future what's going to happen and depression is worrying about what you did wrong in the past or what happened what was bad what happened badly in the past um and i think there's a lot of truth to that i mean there there are biological components to both specifically depression um but you know how much can you fix by just living in the moment and maybe connecting with that spirituality connecting with your hobbies connecting with these things that you love and enjoy um so i i think that's fascinating so i i I appreciate you sharing that yeah of course and like these psilocybin experiences to kind of cap off on that it kind of locks you in to that present moment, I guess, is a good way to, um, or it locks me into my present moment. It doesn't really let you get on a tangent too far ahead or behind in the past or um, future. It kind of puts your own two feet in front of you. And, um, and I think that might be part of the spiritual verbiage that kind of describes what that experience is like. Um, and microdosing, of course, the macrodosing, that's a completely different topic, <laughs> but, um, also beneficial in studies and spirituality, but, um, yeah, it's, uh, it forces you into intention to be intentional in the moment. Um, as I said, in my post interview, after winning the NCAA in front of the microphone, they said, what was it like out there? Like, how did you, you know, how did you do it? And a lot of what I said was like, I feel the weight under my feet. I feel the air in my lungs. You know, this is something I've thought about many times before and like visualized it. And um, they were all words of, you know, I'm not getting too ahead of myself. I'm not thinking about the opponent. I'm not thinking of getting up and, uh, you know, what's tomorrow's workout going to be? Tomorrow's workout doesn't really matter. What matters right now is sleeping, <laughs> you know? Don't wrestle in your head of what's tomorrow, what's tomorrow. Um, doing that's not going to help you at all. And everyone knows that, and that's kind of a whole duh moment. But when you have it, it's revolutionary. Like, what matters right now is getting some shut-eye, um, and that just wraps right back around a presence. Be aware in the moment. Yeah, I really like you you bring that up. Living in the moment is something that people forget about. It's so simple, yet people forget about it. And they, they tend to stress about things that they don't need to be stressing about in the moment. You know, just focus on what you need to do right here, right now. I need to get some sleep. I need to go take care of myself. Those little things are what get you to achieve your goals. And I think that's what you really show through your journey is that you you were able to focus on yourself, focus on what needs to be done now that will eventually lead me to those goals. And it, it showed that it worked for you. You know, you were able to achieve those goals, get to where you wanted to be. And I think that it's really focusing on yourself and opening your mind and knowing who you are, what you want, what you need to do to take care of yourself. So I really appreciate you telling your story and being here talking to us about it because it's very interesting and it's something that people can look forward, look to as a a perfect example in that area. So yeah, loved your story. (laughs) Thank you. Um, Yeah, it just goes to show that whether it's running or weightlifting or wrestling or swimming or whatever the sport is or whatever, it could just be getting a promotion it could just be trying to land a job somewhere um yeah it's very important to get your reps but a lot of it is taking care of business behind the veil it's getting um all your ducks in a row it's working on yourself working on your mental game working on your exercise or food getting the right sleep it's living a whole balanced life it can't just be um like old-fashioned boss of if you're you're not working, you better be sleeping, you know, 12 hours, 16 hour days, grind hard, grind, 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 well, bodies break. (laughs) And as people usually break as well over time. And if it's not their mind, it's their body. Um, It's got to be a system of balance. And uh, 
yeah, there's moments of, well, duh, I need to sleep right now, but, and then your brain gets right back into the loop of, what about tomorrow? What about yesterday? You know, it gets back into the what ifs. So that's where I think breathing practices come into play. You need to have a skill set to rely on to bring you to the present moment. Otherwise, it's just an idea. And you can try all you want, but it's not going to work. It's you need to develop the meditative or the breathing practice or the psilocybin practice. You need a, a physical or a, you need a skill set. You need to teach yourself how to come to the present moment. So it's not just an idea or something you're going to try to do without backing it up with any kind of uh, practice behind it. Yeah, I love that. And so, so to end here, um, kind of a question that kind of impressing on me is what do you say to those who, you know, cause we started with you saying that you kind of, for a while you put yourself in this box without even knowing it. So what do you say to those people that either feel like they are in a box or maybe are trying to be in a box that they don't need to be in? Um, what advice do you have for them? What advice do I have for people that feel like they're stuck in a box or they're trying to get outside of one? Yeah. Yeah. Cause I, I mean, just to give a little backstory, if this helps prompt any thoughts is just, I, I, I feel like we talked about all of these different things that stem from not being in the moment that stem from maybe trying to be something that we maybe aren't or trying to stay something that we don't have to be. Um, if that makes sense. And so I, I think that that's one thing that you do really well. So what type of advice do you have for people who maybe maybe don't even know who they are? Um, I would say, imagine a world where money doesn't exist and notoriety, pride, people recognizing you, like recognition, Imagine that you lived a life that no one could see and you didn't get paid for it. What would you go do with, within certain parameters? Like you need to pay your bills. However, that's say you work eight hours a day, you're awake for another eight hours. I mean, then you sleep for eight. So you have tons of time in your day <laughs> or if you work four tens you work full 10 in a day or maybe even 12 there's still weekends there's time in your day if you let it be um find out what you would do if there was no money or no one could ever even know if you couldn't tell a soul what you're doing and that's probably going to boil down to uh you know, what brings gratification to your life? What really is worth living for? Because that's where your answer is. If you're doing it for money or if you're doing it for somebody else, that's not coming from what comes from the heart inside of you. And uh, and that's really what drives you closer to the, all the sweet things in life is doing what brings you happiness, you know? Where do you thrive? Um, and really, that's going to turn out to be what you're good at <laughs> in the yeah. end. If you think about it, if you stop living for other people and stop living for uh, monetary compensation, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, it's, you know, I think that's a good mind experiment and even bounce it off of other people. It's, that's the part of being social, you know, what, ask other people what they would do and it could spark conversations and maybe new experiences within yourself. And if you don't know where to start, pick up a book. It doesn't even matter which type of book, make it a something that you might be even slightly interested in. There's tons of self-help books out there. Um, I think the four agreements was my, what really cracked me in the head and started me off on a life that kind of shook me down to the core is uh, the four agreements by Don Miguel Ruiz. That guy's a masterful <laughs> author. I tell you what, but yeah. Oh, that's awesome, man. I, I love that. And thank, thank you for sharing that. I, I felt like that was something that, you know, really encapsulated everything that we talked about. So 
thank you for coming on. Thank you for your, your wisdom and, and, uh, your time. I know we took a lot of your time. So, so thank you. I, I think that there's a lot we can learn from this. Yeah, man. I hopefully I could stay on track. <laughs> I get on a tangent sometimes, but, uh, yeah, thank you for your listeners and your time and energy as well. You know, Thanks for listening. If you like this episode, subscribe, leave a rating and a review, or share with your friends and family to show your support. If you want to reach out to us, find us on Facebook or Instagram at Evoked Podcast.